So starting in verse 1, this is from the NLT. It says, this is the message that the prophet Habakkuk received in a vision. And Habakkuk right here, the heading in this is Habakkuk is complaining. He says, how long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Violence is everywhere, I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why much I watch all this misery wherever I look? I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous. So the justice has become perverted. I'm going to stop there for a minute. This was written 2,600 years ago. 26 centuries ago. Does any of that resonate today? The book is timeless. Now you look back through this. First of all, he's whining to the Lord. He says, how long must I call for help? Where are you? I've been asking. You know, we all want that answer, right? Like, send me a text, send me a call, email, anything. When I ask for something, I'd like an answer back. It doesn't always come that way from God. It says, violence is everywhere, but you don't come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? I mean, this stuff is right out of the 21st century, but it's from 2,600 years ago. Now, in this case, because Habakkuk is a prophet, he is a man of God, he's a man that gets visions and words from God, he actually gets a reply from God. It wasn't by text message, but God spoke to him directly and gave him an answer to what he's saying. And it's a little confusing to Habakkuk, but we're going to get into that. Because the Lord replied, he says, okay, look around at the nations, look and be amazed, for I am doing something in your own day. He's talking about his lifetime. He says, okay, Habakkuk, I'm not talking about something in 500 years. I'm saying right now, while you're alive, you're going to see this happen. For I'm going to do something in your own day, something that you wouldn't believe, even if someone told you about it. So it's something big. And here it is. I am raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people, and they will march across the world and they will conquer other lands. They are notorious for their cruelty and do whatever they like. Their horses are swifter than cheetahs. So Habakkuk, this minor prophet, this man of God that hears from God, talks to God, he's a messenger for God. He's questioning the same things today that we question about God's justice. He's looking around and he's saying, God, look at this. Like, why are these things happening? There are bad things happening to good people. There's good things happening to bad people. Why doesn't God step in? Why doesn't God step in and just snap his fingers and fix everything that Habakkuk sees? Because that would be fair, right? That would be just, right? Does this sound familiar? Has anybody asked these questions? Do we ever ask why? Why did these things happen? Why did a tour bus of missionaries crash and everybody died? Why did an earthquake kill people for no reason? Why did my friend get cancer? We've all asked these questions. And he's crying out to the Lord. He says, in this case, he's saying, look, we're your chosen people. We're the Israelites. We're the Hebrews. We are the people of your covenant. We are the blessed ones that you made these promises to, but we're not necessarily acting like it. They have a history of going up and down. He says, look, we're acting with anger. We're acting with wickedness. He says, 
the law is paralyzed at this point. We can't even deal with these people. It's been perverted by man. Come on. We need your intervention. What's Habakkuk asking for here? When he asked for the intervention, uh, Drew brought it up in praise and worship. He's asking for a revival is what he's asking for. He's asking for the Spirit of God to show up and change the hearts of the Hebrews, to change the hardened hearts, to say like, you know what, if God would just show up, he could snap his fingers right now and fix it, couldn't he? If God would just show up right now and he would alter all of our hearts and he would bring a Spirit of the Lord into this, everything would be fixed. It's like what's going on at Asbury College. And if you don't know what Drew was talking about, go home and Google Asbury College Revival, Asbury University Revival, and watch it. It is fascinating. It's amazing. But that is exactly what Habakkuk is asking for 2,600 years ago because he's like, we need a revival. We need the Lord's Spirit to come in and fix everything that's going on because what's going on right now is not fair because we're the chosen people and things aren't working out the way I want it to. So God, in his love and wisdom, he gives him an answer and he says, okay, here's what we're going to do. The Babylonians, this new group, this new superpower in the world, they're going to come in, they're going to slaughter you. Believe it or not, that's not what Habakkuk wanted. So then Habakkuk says, <laughs> this is all in uh, chapter 2. I'm not going to read it. It's more fun to paraphrase this. Habakkuk's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That, God, that's not what I meant. That's not what I meant. You know, I wanted something different. I wanted a revival. I didn't want us to get taken over by a foreign nation. I didn't want these bad things to happen. So, God, your response, what you're telling me is that bad things are going to happen on this earth. That there's going to be war. There's going to be death. There's going to be earthquakes. There's going to be negative things happening to your people on this earth. That's what you're trying to tell me. So God answers him yet again. It's a great conversation. Like I, there's times I wish God would answer me this simply, even if I don't like his answer. So God answers him back, and there's kind of a three-part answer that God comes back with. And this is where we start getting into understanding about God's justice. God's first thing, because part of Habakkuk's complaint is he says, wait, the Babylonians, they're the bad guys. They're not your people. We're the Hebrews. We are your people. Why would they get to beat us? And God says, well, first of all, just so you know, I'm going to deal with the Babylonians too. Because in time, a new group's going to rise up and conquer them. And then a new group's going to rise up and conquer the conquerors. And then later, another group's going to rise up and conquer the conquerors of the conquerors. So that's the first way God answers him. Then the second thing he said is he said, human history, it's really a continuation of the first. He said, human history, we will continue to see humans. We will continue to see men doing bad things to other men, and striving to come out on top. This is not a new development. And God's answer is that I'm, I'm actually not going to fix that. I'm telling you that this is just what's going to happen. You know, Alexander the Great's empire was built on the ruins of Nineveh from centuries earlier. You know, it's, we just continue to see new developments, new developments, new developments, new developments. Why is that? Well, because humans, it turns out we're not that great. Bad things happen because of us since the fall of man. But then God says in this answer, he says, but, but the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. 
says, you're going to keep doing your man things. You're going to keep doing your people things. You're going to keep fighting. There's going to keep being negative things. But I want you to understand that in time, the earth is going to be filled with the knowledge. Everybody's going to have knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Everyone will see my glory. He says, you know, men are going to build temporal things. But I am building a long, patient kingdom that will last forever. Why is that justice? We'll get to that. And the third thing, the third part of the answer, Habakkuk answers him yet again. So, okay, God, I get it. I get it. You're kind of a big picture guy. You know, I'm looking at right now. You're a big picture guy. I understand that. But this is where we get into the men's selfish things a little bit. He says, but he says, but what about me? <laughs> what about me personally? He says, what about your people that do love you? What about the righteous that are here? What about the ones that are serving you? What about the ones, don't you have any empathy for those of us that are still worshiping you and we're already in that place? And he didn't say bad things won't happen to them. I know we all wish that's what would come. But the Lord answered in the third part of his answer, he said, but the just shall live by faith. Just know that the just will live by faith. That's in Habakkuk 2.4. The righteous will live by faith. The translations, whether you're talking about justice for an individual or righteousness of an individual, it's kind of the same word. You know, we often hear the righteous will live by faith. And this became such a popular uh, topic that was said at this time that, you know, the Apostle Paul says it three times in his writings. The righteous will live by faith. Are bad things going to happen? Yes. But the righteous will live by faith. There is going to be justice for people because of their faith. And the God has created a kingdom that will last forever. And everybody will have knowledge of this kingdom that's coming. What God is saying is like, you know, you want to survive. We all want to survive, right? You want to survive? You survive by understanding that the just will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. Well, survive what? Well, you're going to survive the trials of this world. You're going to survive the sicknesses that come at you. You're going to survive the, the turmoil beyond what a non-believer is going to believe. And most of all, the righteous are going to survive. Those that have put their trust in the Lord, Jesus Christ, they're going to survive death. It's a prophecy of what's to come 500 years later when Habakkuk wrote this. Now, I want to explain this because I'm talking about the righteousness of God, and I just explained how a group's going to come in and wipe them off the earth. That is not what the righteousness is. That is what Habakkuk did not understand when he had this conversation. It's why he kept asking questions. He didn't get it. And I'll be honest, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. I didn't understand it like the first five times I read it. But I kept reading it. I was like, oh, no, I get it. I get it. What he's laying out for us is so different. See, this is not an example. What God is saying here is it's not an example of God punishing anybody. He's not punishing the Hebrews here for their behavior. When he says that the, the conquerors will be conquered, he's not punishing them for what they did. This is not a vengeance thing. That's what was misunderstood. He's explaining that earthly troubles will continue, which is, of course, the result of us. Who caused the earthly troubles? Us. Our sin. 
Adam's fall. He never promised that everything was going to be perfect on earth. Earlier, Drew said he didn't promise to be happy. He didn't promise there wouldn't be troubles. What he promised us was that we would never be alone in it. He promised us that there would be a healer. He promised us that he would send a comforter. He promised us that he would send somebody that would never forsake us. He promised us that there would always be somebody present. We would never be alone in these troubles if we recognize the glory of God. You know, in this passage of his justice, his justice looks different because his justice looks different because he's not us. Our justice is, well, I want it to come out exactly how I wanted it to come out. His justice is of, like, I'm sorry, you still got to live in this world that you guys messed up, by the way, but I'm going to do it with you. And you will never be alone through this whole thing. The tragedies will be there. But the righteous will survive by their faith. He'd send a healer. He would send a comforter. And he'd send somebody that would never leave us alone. We're going to get deeper into that a little bit, but I also want to, uh, I want to stop for a minute because I want to go back to contrasting what man looks like. And I'm going to use a secular example. We were driving home from Nashville when I heard this song. I don't listen to a lot of country music on the radio. There's this new country music song, it's new to me, called Get in the Truck. They may know what I'm talking about, like secular music. Okay. Well, this, this country singer tells a story, you know, and he's driving in the rainstorm in his pickup. Because if you're in a country music song, you're in a pickup, always. And uh, he sees a woman in his headlights at night, so he stops and picks her up. And when he opens the door, it's, uh, it bothers me to even think about this. She'd been beat up. She'd been beaten badly by her spouse or boyfriend or whatever it is. I just can't stand that. Like, yeah, that comes on in a movie I can't even watch, even when it's fake. And he tells her, get in the truck. you know. And after he rides for a minute... He looks at her and he says, where is he? Where's the guy that did this to you? So this is the knight in shining armor, right? This is men, this is man's way of bringing justice. And uh, she tells him where he is. He goes there and he takes care of business, what you do to somebody that's done this, the way men take care of it, the way mankind takes care of it. And this song is sort of celebrated that, you know, like justice has been served and, and it, it's a warm, fuzzy feeling on a Sunday morning, right, to think about that. It's, uh, but that's what that song's about. And I just use it because isn't that what our example is right now? Like when I watch a movie, you know, the bad guy's going to get it in the end. You know, he's going to get what had coming to him. You know, you get a, hopefully the good guy wins. I used to love watching Walker, Texas Ranger because... And I know it's corny, but it's so awesome because every Friday night, like, he was just going to kick the crap out of the bad guys at the end of the show. And the good guy in the white hat won. And who doesn't love that? I mean, it was the perfect justice. You know, that's what our justice looks like. That's what our movies are. I don't know. Does anybody here think that? Besides me? Like, somebody hurts one of my daughters. We got a a solution for that, right? I mean, (laughs) yes. Yes. But thank God that is not how justice works with our Father. Thank God that's not how it works. Because justice with our Father 
is mixed in with a huge dose of mercy and love. It looks different. You know, we don't get what we deserve with him, thankfully. You know, God's form of justice was displayed to us perfectly with the gift of his son, Jesus. That's how he sent justice to the earth. It was a plan that was absolute, just absolute mercy and love when he sent him here. It's a way of thinking that was foreign to us as people. Now, that plan he had of his son, it's from the beginning. We can read about it in Genesis. But he became man. And this form of justice, unlike man's justice, has nothing to do with equality. It's the opposite of equality. If it was equality, I would have been on the cross. You would have been on the cross. And then when my spirit left me, it would have gone to hell. Because that, that's, that's what I deserved, right? The wages of sin is death, and I'm a sinner. But God's form of justice, it saved us. <laughs> it saved all of us from what we truly had coming to us. Let's hop back into the Word again. Got away from the country songs. And I want to show you another example of God's mercy compared to man's sense of justice. In the New Testament, when he starts to spell it out in a way Jesus does, it is so easy for us to understand. I'm going to go to Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. It's a very popular story in the Bible about the prodigal son. So to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. He said, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between the two sons. A few days later, this younger son packed up all his belongings. He moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all of his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one would give him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I'm dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. He embraced him, he kissed him, and his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servant, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and now he's returned to life. He was lost and now he's found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working when he returned home. He heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of his servants what was going on. He says, your brother's back. And he was told, your father has killed the fattened calf, and we're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours came back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. The father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. 
We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Jesus' parables, I mean, what a perfect picture of the contrast of man's justice versus God's justice. Obviously, the father represents God, and this angry older son represents man. You know, I can hear myself sympathizing with this older brother. Can you? (laughs) You know, I mean, we just can't help ourselves about worrying what this isn't fair. This isn't right. It doesn't make sense. I've done everything for you. He blows everything, and you treat him like a hero when he comes home. But the father, I mean, he says, son, you don't understand. And this is a parable, but this is God talking when he says, my love is not conditional. It does not matter what your brother does. My love is not conditional. He messed up. He sinned. He took advantage of it. But my mercy is going to be complete towards him. My love towards him is going to be complete towards him. My form of justice is not like yours. It's not about an equality issue here. I'm going to welcome everybody back into the fold. James 3.17 says, The wisdom that is from above is first pure. Then it's peaceable. It's gentle. It's willing to yield. It is full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. What God has to give us is full of mercy, absolute mercy. As I said before, our justice was served with God. What we deserved is gone as soon as he took that cross for us. And then on that third day when he walked out, love and mercy took over. And love and mercy is what reigns us now. That's his form of justice. What happened to the prodigal? I mean, it wasn't fair by our standards. But as I said before, I don't want fair. The last thing I want is to get into an equality match with God and discuss what or not is fair. If we were to balance the scales, what he gives us versus what we've offered back, it's, 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 it's not very fair. It's not very equal. But... We're on the winning side of that, friends. I don't want to be judged by my actions and my thoughts that have come throughout my life. I would much rather have the fairness that Jesus offered. You know, Jesus' example of his life and all the writings on it, it's kind of given us a glimpse of a, of a kingdom and of an understanding that we would otherwise not be able to understand. You know, you think how he lived his life and the grace that he showed everybody. He, uh, you know, how he treated the outcasts. At that time, women were outcasts in society. I mean, they were treated awfully at this time. Well, Jesus not only reached out to women, he reached out to a Canaanite woman, their enemies. He reached out to a Samaritan woman. Jesus not only touched lepers, he touched uh, a Samaritan leper. You know, he, he reached out to the fringes of society, which I would argue where all fringes of society due to the separation from God because of sin. And that equality that brought us all back into his bosom is something that we need to embrace and love 
and not question his fairness each time something bad happens. I wish I could stand here and say bad things won't happen to Christians. But we all know that's not true, right? But as they happen, you are never alone. And my final thought on this subject is just about how can we be more like God? We're supposed to be more Christ-like. We're supposed to be, we're supposed to emulate him the most we can. And Matthew wrote this well when he said, uh, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are they merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. So if we want the mercy that God extends to us, then we need to ensure that we are extending that same to others. Another thing, maybe this is just me, but any of you ever get irritated with other people? Anybody ever lose their patience with someone else? You get mad when you get cut off? We need to have the patience that God has with us. We need the mercy that he shows us when we're put in those situations. Because when we do that, a couple things will happen. First of all, we're going to emulate Jesus to somebody else, which is always a good thing. And the second thing it does when we show mercy to someone else is it actually frees us. If you want to have a selfish motive, I'm telling you, if you never have anxiety or fear or anger towards someone else, you've just freed yourself up. You've freed yourself up for all the blessings that God has to offer you because he told us in his word, we show mercy, it comes right back to us. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged or inspired you to God's best. If you have any questions about today's message, need prayer, or would like to learn more about Living Word Fellowship, please call 641-828-7119 or visit us at lwfknoxville.com.